Hello, and welcome to episode 86 of the Casual Try Hard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And this week, we're going to continue our discussion on like the value of a card and kind of look at how some of the problematic cards from 2019 and 2020 have kind of pushed the bounds of what a card is worth Mm -hmm. and like kind of why they became problematic. Yeah, I mean, all this knowledge doesn't really do anything unless you can apply it, right? So why not apply it to not only some stuff that we know is broken because it's been banned, but I figured we'd also apply it to some of the spoilers we've gotten so far and, you know, maybe some of the cards that may or may not be problematic coming up. Yeah. So if you want to tweet at us your thoughts on the spoilers or your questions about card values, you can get at us at Casual Tripod on Twitter. Yep. You can hit us up on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. You can also drop us an email at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Check our email all the time. So that's a pretty good way to get a hold of us. Don't forget, if you're looking to pick up any singles, if you are listening to our pre-show, uh, we went over some kind of hot, hot takes, some specs. Um, you can do that using our TCG affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Anything you purchase after following that link will get a small percentage of to help keep the keep the show trucking along here. If you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can do so on our Patreon, patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. Our patrons get early access to our show notes. I try and post them up the day before the show goes live, get you a sneak peek of whatever's going on that week. And we also record kind of our pre-show ramblings that uh, our patrons get access to typically on Tuesdays. We don't get to see each other that much in person anymore. So a lot of our catch up is done, you know, before we start recording while we're talking to each other, fixing audio, that type of stuff. So our patrons get a kind of a sneak peek into our, our actual world with that kind of stuff. You never know what we're going to talk about. Never know. This one was uh, all over the place. Magic it was all over the place. The Rona, everything. Yeah. A little bit of everything. Also, there's a link in the description. There's a link on Twitter. There's a link on Facebook for our Discord channel. Um, There's a lot of really good uh, conversations that happen in there, so make sure you follow one of those links and check that out. Um, If you are having a hard time getting a hold of a link, shoot us an email, shoot us a message, whatever, and we will send you a personalized invitation to join our little group. Yes, sounds good. Yep. We got anything else going on? Or are we going to get into it? I think we're going to get into it. All right. All right. So a little quick review of what we did last week. Um, we talked about some of the basics of magic theory. Things have evolved a little bit since then, but a lot of what we talked about still stands true. And like these kind of core building blocks are what the game strategy, I guess you'd call it, is built on. Um, so it's important to know this stuff. And again, we're going to apply this to the Zendikar Rising spoilers that, you know, we should be doing our set review episode next week. We'll be using some of this stuff to do that. And we're going to talk about some individual cards that have already been spoiled later on in the episode. So last week we started off with the Philosophy of Fire by Mike Flores, right? Yes. It was a early article, a really early article, like 2004, I think, about kind of some basic, really basic magic theory. And they equated or cards to the ability to like continue the game. Like a card is worth, you know, a card out of your library is worth a certain number of life points. A card in your hand is worth a certain number of your opponent's life points, things like that. Right. Yeah. And how you can like your cards either trade for your opponent's life points 
or their creatures, and you can trade your life points for cards. Yep. We had referenced Patrick Chapin at one point, kind of wrapped everything up in a neat little package, and he referred to this section as resources that you begin the game with, but that you do not gain naturally over time. So cards like, and library, life total, things like that. Yep. The next thing that we talked about was what, again, what Patrick Chapin referred to as resources that you gain naturally over time, but you don't start the game with. And we had talked about this in a previous episode and we called it tempo. Um, this is also something that Zvi Mauschwitz uh, discussed in his article that we referenced last week. And these are things like the basic parts of your turn, like untapped steps, like land drops, like your combat step, um, things like that. So you it's can, trying to maximize those or minimize your opponents. Right. Yep. Yep. They're things that you have to actively try and get. They, they're things that you that you always get, but you're trying to get the maximum value out of. Right. Exactly. Or deny your opponent their maximum value. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when you tap when you tap a creature on your opponent's turn so it can't attack, you've destroyed, you've killed their attack step. Right, for that it, turn. You you're now one attack step up on your opponent. Yes. And you know, if you get up two or three attack steps, that hopefully is enough for you to win the game. Yep. Or like if you cast a call against command during your opponent's draw step. Yeah. You, you get to deny them a draw step. Exactly. Yep. Right. And then there are resources you begin the way with, uh, game with and then a uh, gain naturally over time. And that's card economy. So cards in hand. Mm-hmm. And then card advantage is just more raw cards. Where yep. card, card economy is just uh, cards that have higher quality. So right. you can get card advantage by casting spells that just give you cards. Like draw a card or draw two cards. Right, mm-hmm. That puts you up one card. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like... You use the example of like Wrath of God, where you're like, I used one card to kill three of your creatures. Right. So also I got card a, advantage. Yeah, I got a three for one. I got three of your cards for one of mine. Yep. So and I'm then, up on resources. Yep. And card economy goes kind of in a different direction where one card is just better than another card. Like Tarmogoyf is better than a grizzly bear. You know, a timer go if you're not unhappy to top deck late in the game and a grizzly bear, you're probably going to get laughed at because it doesn't do anything. Yeah. And there's an inherent advantage to that. If, you know, if you're one for one with your opponent and your card is just inherently more powerful, then there's fractions of a card that that card is worth more than your opponents. Like my Tarmogoyf might be worth a grizzly bear and a half or two grizzly bears. You know what I mean? Yeah. So enough of those cards run your opponent out of resources. So think of the times where your opponent plays a questing beast and you have to use two shocks. Right. Right. Their questing beast traded for two of your cards. Mm-hmm. And that puts you down cards. And eventually they're going to draw another questing beast and you'll have run out of resources to kill said yep. questing beast. Correct. Especially if that questing beast gets to snipe a planeswalker before it gets taken care of. Yeah. So these principles worked really well in the Mm -hmm. confines of old magic design. Mm -hmm. Let's say a simpler time, like, I don't know, 2017 and and earlier. (laughs) A simpler time, all of two years ago. All of two years years ago. ago. Since like 2017, 2018, 
yeah. cards have kind of pushed the boundaries of these like card economy and like tempo or card mm-hmm. advantage and card economy where there's it used to be you had to like make choices right i want a card that's going to give me more cards or mm-hmm. i want a card that is on its face a good card has a good ball of stats or a good effect mm-hmm. and now in current magic a lot of those uh, a lot of the like things that you card advantage are also stuck to cards that have good effects right or an efficient beater or a draw spell or whatever yeah so you just you get all of these things kind of stuck together now and we kind of wanted Mm -hmm. to go through and talk about like how cards that you know we've seen as being problems why Mm -hmm. they're problems kind of based on these principles of you know what a card is worth yep so i figured the best way to do this talk about like the cards that have been banned so far right sure and that list is like two pages yeah it's kind of long yeah i I kind of expanded on some of this stuff but some of it i didn't we can just walk through it i meant more to illustrate that uh a lot of stuff has been banned yeah it's a big problem lately yeah yeah so first up is agent of treachery um i think everybody knows what agent of treachery does i don't think we really need to rehash it too much what are some ways that agent of treachery kind of breaks these evaluation pillars that we've kind of set up so first i think when they made the card they made it seven mana right and in current standard it was too easy to get to seven mana so you Mm -hmm. were getting this powerful effect too soon right so maybe it was okay on seven but not on turn seven let's say or eight but Mm -hmm. not okay on turn four or five yeah so big problem on turn four or five it gives you tempo Mm -hmm. right so it gives you whatever mana your opponent spent on the card that you stole or Mm -hmm. when you steal a land yeah. It gives you their land drop plus and sets them access back on to mana. mana. Yeah. Right. And like puts you ahead on mana and sets them back. So yeah. if you do this on turn five and you take their land, now they're playing the entire game effectively two lands behind you. The land drop right. that like you took from them and then the land that you got. Right. So on one hand, it gives you like a huge tempo swing. Mm-hmm. Very much so. It also gives you a card advantage swing because you're spending one card to remove one of your opponent's cards and give it to you, which means that your opponent now has to deal with your agent plus the thing that you stole from them. So it's like a three for one since you're getting their card on your side. Mm -hmm. So you've effectively killed their creature and played two creatures if you take a creature. Right. Right, you've played your agent plus whatever you stole, mm-hmm. or um, like you said with your land drop, you're taking one of their lands, getting it on your battlefield. Plus, you have a two-three body with not always an irrelevant static ability. Yeah, and then combining it with other like cards that were in standard with it, like Thassa. Yeah, uh, the fact that then you were getting this effect for effectively zero mana. Every turn, yeah. Yeah. And Yorion getting that effect for kind Mm of uh, zero, like zero mana. Right. Was was kind of too much. So 
the card gave you too many things and like the seven mana cost of it wasn't high enough. Yeah, definitely not. Right. Not not with the amount of ramp that's already like in those colors in standard. Yeah, so it was a card that I think when we evaluated it initially, we were like, oh, seven mana, it's a commander card. Right. But we didn't realize that every deck would be playing 32 lands, four Boreal Grazers, and four Growth Spirals. Yeah. Like, in that environment, again, the, the casting cost is effectively four. Right. Plus Nissa, plus Uro. Yeah. So this is one that just kind of, it gives you tempo and card advantage. Mm-hmm. And the, yep. the point of oftentimes of tempo is that you're supposed to kind of sacrifice card advantage. To give you tempo, yeah. To, yeah, like the the classic unsummon. Right. thrown away a card to get their mana. Mm-hmm. Where agent was, you got their mana and their card. Yeah. Next up is my boy. I hate this card. <laughs> Cauldron Familiar. And... Obviously, everybody knows that this pairs with Witch's Oven. Witch's Oven wasn't banned, but you can't really talk about Cauldron Familiar in a vacuum because it's, you know, painfully clear that it's meant to be paired with the oven. It's kind of a role player or like, you know, but once you get the pieces around it, it becomes really important. Right. So how how does Cauldron Familiar gain you some tempo? Well, it lets you, like with Oven, like... You're, you get a, this repeatable threat or this repeatable source of damage that requires no mana. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's weird, but, like, if you had a one-mana artifact that just said, tap it, deal one to your opponent, you gain one, mm-hmm. like, that would be a very powerful card. Yeah. And that's Oven with Cat is, is that. I mean, you can kind of think of it like one of Chandra's emblems. Yeah. Uh, Big Chandra from, was it Core 20? Yes. Where you're just dealing at least one damage every turn, plus you're getting the benefit of, you know, gaining a life on the other side of it, and you didn't have to spend six mana to do it. You can also, this also gains you in the right shell. Um, it gains you card advantage because the deck's built around things like Trail of Crumbs, Corvold, or Midnight Reaper, where every iteration of this, you're gaining card advantage also. You're drawing another card, you're getting a card out of your deck. And another way this gains card advantage that is sneaky mm-hmm. is for zero mana, it eliminates your opponent's best non-trampling threat right. each turn. So they have a rotting Regisaur, and you're like, okay, cool. I'll just block it with my cat and sack it. So now mm-hmm. that rotting Regisaur doesn't get to do anything. Well, I mean, it does something still. It makes your opponent discard a card every turn. Yeah, but like <laughs> it, a, another generic beater yeah it like eliminates a card so each each turn your opponent gets to say well what big creature do i get to render like get to fog Mm -hmm. get to eat this attack step with this creature with my thing that i did on turn one right so it gets you tempo that way as well because it eats there it either Mm -hmm. it gets you tempo by eating an attack step but it also kind of gets you card advantage by one one of the, their cards is trading for one of yours and you mm-hmm. you know yep oh very much so you're 100 percent correct right and then we have down here that it removes your opponent's ability to continue the game right 
it's it's a clock. Each loop deals them one damage. And so eventually yeah. you're going to win the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it is like a 20-turn clock, but also, you know, your opponent's only going to get 20 cards deep in their deck because the game's not going to continue past that. Yeah. So next um, up, we have everyone's uh, favorite tap land, the card you were most right about of any card <laughs> since we've done this podcast. It has to be Field of the Dead, right? Field of the Dead. Yeah. So this card doesn't gain you actual tempo. It kind of gains you like backwards tempo because it doesn't actually cost you anything to use. It's just your land drop. It's a completely free include. If you can swing having, you know, a reasonable number of lands with different names, then there's no downside to running a field of dead. You know, you know what I mean? Your, your land drop isn't a spell. And basically, you're gaining tempo here by building your board presence like as the game normally progresses without spending any mana to do it. Yeah, so you can think of Field of the Dead as, as also a card advantage engine because every time you play a land, you are drawing the card, drawing and casting the card Grizzly Bears. For free. For free. So it's also tempo, right? Tempo, right? Because... You're mm-hmm. doing something for no mana. So you're actually getting right. extra mana, right? Because mm-hmm. a 2-2, two, two, no abilities, mm-hmm. is worth 2 mana. Yeah. It's tempo, mm-hmm. it's card advantage. The ability to continue the game, the last pillar that we were talking about, also kind of applies in reverse for Field of the Dead because you're not really m- removing your opponent's ability to continue the game, but you're extending yours by you know making chump blockers every turn or just having you know, inevitability. Eventually you're going to make enough zombies where they're going to run out of things to throw in front of them and you're going to kill them. Yeah. But it also kind of has like the, like, I think that's one mode of the card, but it Mm -hmm. also has the other mode of like our promise, get two fields, make six zombies where you go from like no board to board where they might be chump blockers, but they might Mm -hmm. also just be a two turn clock. Right. Right. Yeah. It kinda, I mean, it, it kind of yeah, is you, both. Yeah. If you found a ramp spell that can, you know, put two or three of them into play all at the same time, then sure. Yeah. But like just the fact that it, it does have the inevitability aspect mm-hmm. is just like on the card. Yeah. Like, I am inevitable. Mm-hmm. And then it also has the pair me with something and I can end the game really fast. Like the scapeshift mm-hmm. deck that got played for like three months. Yep. Where you would like, hit some land drops, you'd ramp, and then you'd just be like, scape shift. Make all the zombies. Make all the zombies kill you. Yep. And so, uh, it, the fact it does both. So, mm-hmm. it's tempo, it's card advantage, and it's either a way for you to win a long game, or mm-hmm. a way for you to shorten a game. Yeah, and there's no investment. You don't None. have to do anything to make it work. You just play lands. Right. And Which you want to do anyway. Yes. Yep. Congratulations. The uh, the next one's kind of interesting to talk about. Um, it's Fires of Invention. Now, it's pretty easy to see that this is a pretty big tempo swing because on turn four, when you cast it, you get all of that mana back and then you double your mana the next turn. So it's skipping you ahead like two turns from your opponent. But it doesn't really fit into card advantage, does it? No, 
unless it's the like mono red version of card advantage where they die with a bunch of cards in their hand. Oh, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Like right? the, the fires decks do tend to close games out pretty quick. Yeah, like the the fire decks in standard were like play fires, play something to either control the board or like mm-hmm. a wrath, mm-hmm. and then it was like play two big things, swing for fifteen. Yeah, and I guess it gets card advantage through card quality too, because if you're playing, you know, two five drops the next turn, that's probably better than anything your opponent's going to do. So your card quality is higher as well. Yeah, and you also got to use your mana in other ways, like with Castle Vantress. Yeah. So you spent 10 mana on your turn for spells, but mm-hmm. then you spent five mana or you tapped five lands mm-hmm. to have card selection or card filtering right. to yep. find your next big threat mm-hmm. or you use it to activate an ability you wouldn't be able to activate otherwise right. so like yep. where you might not like be up to cards or something you were just playing way better cards getting card economy yeah. And then still getting to leverage your mana to do something you wouldn't otherwise get to do. Right. And this also affects your opponent's ability to continue playing the game. Because if you're playing your turn five and your opponent's playing their turn 10, like how long can you realistically survive that? That's kind of the Tron problem in modern. If you're playing turn three and your opponent's playing turn seven, like obviously their stuff's going to be more powerful than yours. Yeah, so you just, it doesn't kind of give traditional card advantage, but it does just give so much tempo. Each of your untapped steps is worth Mm -hmm. so much more than your opponents. You're just like, if I get to untap, I'm going to get to do something giant or two giant things, and you can't keep up with this. So So, we can probably throw Wilderness Wreck in here at the same time, right? There's no reason to talk about that later. We can talk about it right now. Yeah, so Wilderness Wreck does kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um. Uh, I sent you an article from TCG player, was it Adam Yurok? He was talking about how uh, Pioneer is now like starting to get taken over by Wilderness Reclamation decks, and they're starting to find their way into modern as well. Mm -hmm. Because just getting twice the mana every turn is so powerful. So it does the same Mm -hmm. kind of thing as Fires, where it lets you just jump ahead on tempo making each of your each of your turns is way more valuable cuz you just get to do way 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 more stuff mm-hmm. than your opponent does yep and the fact that like while you're limited to like doubling your mana for like one instant spell the fact that you get to like tap out for a sorcery mm-hmm. speed thing like you can tap out for a wrath and then get that mana back up to hold up a counter spell. Right. Or draw some cards or whatever. Yeah. Usually you have to like make choices Mm -hmm. and a card like wilderness reclamation doesn't make you make, make a choice. Right. It's I can play my five mana sorcery speed haymaker. Yep. And And hold up protection or whatever. Yeah, And hold up an instant and play an instant speed removal spell. Yep. And so that is very different than how we've played previously. So I guess this card, not card advantage, but it's mm-hmm. just such a big tempo play because you're mm-hmm. just 
you just get so many more chances to do stuff. Well, I mean, like you said, it's also kind of the mono red philosophy of card advantage, where if your opponent dies with a bunch of cards in their hand, that's card advantage. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's also like, usually like, I don't know what they're playing in like modern, but you know, in pioneer, it's like expansion explosion where you're, you are like, you know, how many standard games were, I'm going to expansion explosion for seven. Yeah. And now I'm going, and then a turn or two later, I'm going to expansion explosion you for the other 13. Right. They do like a little one to like fill their hand up and get a bunch of card advantage. Yeah. Take care of some threats, buy some time. Yeah. Seven for one you. Yeah. And then they'd be like, all right, now I can get around to winning the game. Mm -hmm. Now that I've seven for one you, I think it's time (laughs) for me to win the game. Yeah. So kind of the same thing. So the mana doublers are are just making your untapped steps worth so much more. Right. Right. Your opponent can't keep up. I mean, do mm-hmm. we have Nissa on our list as well? Nissa kind of is the same thing. Yeah, I kind of only put um, banned cards on here, Fair. but yeah, Nissa is 100% the same thing. Yeah, she also... Nissa like, might even be like a worse offender. She is, because she also like shortens the game because she yeah. makes a 3-3. Right, that also is doubled mana, plus yeah. extra mana on a turn, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. How she didn't get banned, beyond my comprehension. Yeah, I have no idea. Should have been. Should have been. Should have also been way more money since I bought a bunch of them. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah. this card is broken. Yeah. And then they were like $2. And I was like, why? No, I was right. You should pay me off, Magic. <laughs> you should pay me off. I got one right. Where's my money? Yeah. Wh- what do you mean standard set mythics have no value now? I mean, standard yeah. set rares have no value. Yeah. Hush, MTG Finance. I was right. <laughs> All right. Ah. <sighs> Growth yep. Spiral. Yeah, how about this one? Does Growth Spiral gain tempo? Because it gets you up on mana. Sure does. What about card advantage? It replaces itself. Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily advantage, but the tempo that it gives you while replacing itself kind of is card advantage, right? Yeah, so... Like um, you said earlier, normally you have to pay for tempo, and in this case, you really don't. Yeah, you you don't pay you don't pay for this card, right? you get you get to put a land into play and you replace it so so mm-hmm. your two mana you're spending two mana to not spend a card mm-hmm. and go up on mana right right like if you could just if there was an, an effect in magic that was tap two lands put an extra land on the battlefield you would do it that would get played you would do yeah. that every turn yep. for the first like four turns it'd be like when you play Momiravig, right? You're just like, yeah. I need to put lands on the battlefield, yep. right? And you just be like, tap two lands, put a land on the battlefield. Tap two lands, put a land on the battlefield, right? And Gross Spiral does that effectively, but mm-hmm. also since it's an instant, lets you do other things. Yeah, right? you can hold up counter magic on your opponent's turn or a removal spell or whatever. And then decide, okay, I want to use my Gross Spiral now. So it makes it better than Explore. And Explore was was good um, yep. but not as like ubiquitous as gross spiral became yeah it can also kind of gain you tempo in that manner also if you're holding it up on your opponent's turn and they don't do anything then you've kind of nullified their turn as well right yeah because like, they oh, didn't have a two drop. i don't want to get my thing negated i'm going to pass yep. the turn 
and then you're like, you know, cast growth spiral. Yep. Growth so, spiral again stuff. Yep. So again, so like the normal ramp spells that we used to get were pay a card to put a land on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And this is don't pay a card, put a land on the battlefield. Yeah. Which is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, think about the difference between this and like cultivate one extra mana sorcery speed. Yeah. And then you're like, always drawing a land. You're always, of, yeah. You're always drawing a land instead of maybe something relevant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like cultivate is what we get now and cultivate yeah. still playable for an oh, yeah, extra no, mana. Yeah. I'm not saying cultivate's bad. It's certainly yeah. worth playing. It's just like, how good we had it with Grow Spiral compared to what we have with Cultivate. A reasonable magic card? A, yep. a balanced and well-designed magic card, Cultivate? Yep. <laughs> As opposed That's the to, one. to Grow Spiral? Yeah. Speaking of balanced and well-designed uh, uh, magic cards. Yeah, this is probably the most balanced and well-designed magic card of all time, right? Yes. Oko, Thief of Crowns. Yeah, where do we start here? Um. So... If you want to talk about tempo, it mm-hmm. basically made any creature your opponent played that was more than three mana mm-hmm. a three mana creature. Because two and a color for a three three, that is the going rate. Well, right, but that's the going rate for a green creature. That's not necessarily the going rate for a white creature or a blue creature. Right? Like white and blue don't get three mana three threes. Yeah, but I'm just saying though that like if you played a five mana spell, yeah. They basically for zero mana the next turn got to turn it into a three mana three three. Right. Like they yep. they ate two of your mana mm-hmm. to like get rid of your creature, make it like irrelevant, and on top of that any synergies that would have been involved in the text box, mm-hmm. right? You maybe didn't pay all like that five mana just for the power and toughness. You paid mm-hmm. it for what was in the text box. And right. now there's nothing in the text box anymore. Right. Yep. Just a blank magic card. Yeah. So it gives you tempo because in, in, in one regard, it, it eats their mana from when they cast their spells. Mm-hmm. And, you're getting every other turn you're getting a three mana effectively it would be a three mana three three for right. no mana for and if two, you're elk in your own food yeah for two yeah. pluses you get a three three right. and an oko that's on like a million at that point right kind of similar to what the problem feel of the dead is where you just kind of get cards incidentally through the card existing yeah and it's card advantage because again you're getting a bunch of three threes, right. and you're getting, you get to cast Pongifies. Yeah, you're making sure that your opponent never has anything better than a three three. Right, and then all your three threes trade with their three threes, and then you mm-hmm. like you've nullified all their threats. That means it's balanced, though, right? <laughs> sure. If everything's just a three three. If everything's just a three three, <laughs> and then it gives you the ability to continue the game. Because it gives you life in the form of food. Mm -hmm. And it gives you, you know, pseudo-removal spells in the form of Pongifies. Yeah, and also 3-3s are like a relevant threat to 
diminish your opponent's ability to continue the game. Yeah, so you've done you've you've extended your game, you've shortened and you've shortened their game all mm-hmm. in one card. Yeah. The thing here that you'll notice is the cards that have been a problem are cards that are kind of hitting multiple points on the axis. Right. Right? Like unsummon wasn't should never say draw a card on it. Correct. Right? And so anytime they like staple draw a card onto a, on effect that shouldn't have draw a card on it, you should be like, wait a minute. Yeah, or like this field, might be broken. Yeah. And Field of the Dead is sneaky draw a card. Field of the Dead is it draw is. a 2-2. Right. And you're like, oh, I guess I am drawing a card. I'm just drawing a 2-2 every, every time yeah. I play a land. Oh. Kind of like what we said about the adventure creatures. Yes. They just always have their... their draw a creature on it. Yeah, draw... Yeah, break like, what is it? What is the card? Uh, one in the blue, like bounce something, is like not a playable yeah. magic card. Right. But um, unsubstantiate is one in a blue bounce something about uh, disperse. Okay. And then, but disperse that always draws you a three one flash flyer. Yeah, that's pretty good. Is super playable. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time gives you tempo because you get to do something for no mana. Yeah, that, I mean, that's always worth something. Like you would, people played um, Oath of Nyssa that was basically once upon a time, but they paid mana for. That saw less cards. That saw less cards, yeah. It's card advantage on some level. Like it lets you keep hands you wouldn't otherwise keep. Well, so can... it, it's card advantage through quality, right? So it's more card, card economy, economy than card advantage. Yeah, you can also think of it as like, I'm going to keep this seven land, seven card hand that has a once upon a time. Mm-hmm. But if it didn't have this once upon a time, I'd mulligan it because it only has one land. Right. So on, on some level you're getting card advantage because you're like, Oh, this could be, this can be the thing that fixes my hand and lets me keep this seven. Mm-hmm. As opposed to having to put one back. Yep. Instead of mulliganing. Yeah. That's kind of a unique way of thinking about it. I don't know if it gives you the ability to continue the game other than like making sure you hit your land drop. Or like get well, your threat, or you get I mean, you get to play the game. Yeah, on some on some level, that's the ability to continue the game. Yeah, you get to you get to continue playing the game because yep. you just you get to engage. Yeah. <sighs> Teferi, yeah. Then, then we have the other three mana planeswalker. Teferi, Time Raveler. Yeah. It gives you tempo because it just it eats whatever your opponent did the turn before you played it. Right. They play and, an artifact, bounce it. A creature, bounce it. An enchantment, well, bounce it. I mean, it's also tempo because a lot of times you're eating your opponent's mana. Like if they had left up an interaction spell, yeah. and you cast it to three, not only do you have board presence and you maybe bounce something, but now they can't play their instant speed interaction either. Right, they leave up Murderous Rider or right. Swift End. Yeah. And then you play it to Fairy and they can't cast it because the only right. target is Teferi, and he says you can't cast this. Yeah. Awkward. Card advantage. It draws you a card when it bounces a thing. Mm-hmm. Which, right, you have a Planeswalker on board, plus it drew you a card, so yeah. you're kind of up a card in that exchange. Yep. And, like, it's threatening to do it again. Mm-hmm. And in some number of times, yeah. Yeah. And it's making it so your opponent can't cast their instants at instant speed. So Which like, basically makes them not cards, a lot of them. Yeah. So like you get a ton of card advantage, both like that you see 
and that you don't see when your opponent has, you know, they tapped out for their two drop and you went to fairy bounce it. And now they have a negate in their hand and they can't use it. Right. Until they do something about the Teferi, that card might as well not exist. Yeah. So like you get card advantage from that because now that card doesn't do anything. Yep. And there's a blink piece of cardboard. And the ability to continue the game, again, it, like, buys you time by bouncing their threat. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know you can do whatever you want on your turn. Yeah, and, like, not only that, but the whole, everything that we've talked about so far warps the entire game around doing something about this Teferi, which means that they don't have an opportunity to counter whatever else you're going to do. So you, your ability to continue the game is kind of like letting you play a different game of Magic than your opponent's playing. Because for the next turn or two or three sometimes, your, opponent, your opponent's only going to be concentrating on taking care of Teferi while you can keep playing your normal game of Magic, you know, countering spells, killing stuff, casting threats, whatever you're doing. Yeah. So yeah. next one, is this card legal in Modern still? It is, right? I'm pretty sure it is. So it's Veil of Summer? Yeah, this card didn't last long. It was no. banned quickly. Yeah, so Veil, it's been called the one-mana Cryptic Command. Basically. Uh, so Cryptic, the most popular mode is to go one blue, 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 counter a spell, draw a card. Yep. And that was Veil of Summer's mode for blue and black spells. Right. But it only for one costs... Mana one mana so just right off the rip you're getting now you're limited to blue and black spells but you're getting four manas worth of cryptic command ability for one mana that's a lot of tempo not counting the fact that for one mana you got to nullify whatever thing they did yep and you get to draw a card yeah so and, card advantage um like in Legacy now, like people are hesitant to play Thoughtseize decks. Yeah. Because you just get blown out by Veil of Summer. Like if you're on the draw, like they just Thoughtseize, you Thoughtseize them and they're like Veil and like you might as well just go home. Basically. Yeah. You're never going to recover from that sort of resource swing. Right. Because you paid a mana and you thought that you were both going to go down a card. Right. And instead, they kept the same number of cards and you went down a card. Yeah, like in Legacy, it's different too because on some level, like all of the discard spells are also peak. Like sometimes you don't even need like the actual discard mode of your discard spell. You just need to see what's in your opponent's hand so you know what to play around. Yeah, you need to know what's up. And so like, you lose that you can... as well. And like all of the early turns are worth so much more in Legacy when you're casting cantrips and setting up your draws and, you know, playing your Delver, you know, whatever you're doing, everything's posturing on like turn one and two for your turn three, turn four to win the game. And if you can nullify that for one mana, not be down any cards and be up tempo while disrupting what your opponent's doing, like that's everything that every deck wants to do. And it has, like, secret modes where, like, Storm can't win because right. they're, like, Tendrils of Agony. And you're, like, Veil of Summer. Yeah. And they're, like, oh, well, that was embarrassing. 
So, I just wasted every card in my deck for nothing. Yeah. So, you know, against some decks, it does give you the ability to continue the game because it just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it nullifies their way of winning the game. It like lets you, you just re- said about tendrils. Yeah. Or it lets you resolve a spell that you need to resolve. And right. like, you know, the the most blowouty way that the spell works, right, is you cast your spell, your opponent counters it, then you cast Veil of Summer. Yeah. Right? Because then your spell resolves and you got a two for one off your veil because it countered their spell. And drew a card. And drew a card. But it also has the mode, uh, this goes to like being flexible, of I'm just going to start my turn by casting Veil. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get to draw my card, but now I know that my next two spells that have to resolve, so. resolve. Yep. And so then um, also, like, it just does so much for so little. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same way like in Modern and Legacy, but I had also, like, Veil also has another secret mode of just cycling. Like yeah. if you're playing against a mono black deck and they're like gutter bones and you're like, well, okay, this isn't going to do a whole lot right now. I'm going to turn this into a real magic card. Yeah. Like just, it, it doesn't actually have to do anything. It can just replace itself. Yeah. Just green cycle. All the text on the card is good. And then when you add it all together, it's great. So what has happened with magic design as of late? is cards no longer kind of neatly fit into like cards that are worth some portion of your opponent's life or right. um, a card of theirs and mm-hmm. cards that like put you up cards or cards that are just good cards right. or cards that give you tempo. Now yep. magic has really been designing cards that go, okay, I want to give you tempo plus I'm going to get you some card advantage or I'm going to Mm -hmm. give you tempo and get you card economy. Right. I'm going to give you the ability to continue the game with Uro. Right. But I'm also going to give you a way to end the game and card advantage all at the same time, all in one card. Yeah. So you have wrapped up in a neat little package. Yeah. So you have all these cards that are kind of filling multiple roles. Yeah. It makes it tough to evaluate for sure. Yeah. And, like, I think it makes it, in addition to, like, tough to just evaluate cards, like, I think you have to change the way you think about magic. Yeah. And I think that going back to the boomer magic way of thinking of things, people that have been in the game for a long time have grown up for 20 years on, you know, maybe they haven't read the philosophy of fire or theory of everything and what or whatever, but like they intrinsically know what a card should do and what a card is worth. Mm-hmm. And over the last two years, what a card should do and what a card is worth have like subtly changed. Yeah. So, yeah. Kind of like the uh, frog in a pot of boiling water. It just slowly gets warmer. Yeah. And then he's cooked. Like, yeah. If you throw a pot or a frog in a pot of water that's already boiling, it'll jump out or whatever. But if you you know, slowly bring it up to a boil, kind of doesn't notice until he's cooked. Kind of the same way. If you've been in the game for a long time, you're used to the way, you know, something works and they've slowly been ramping up the power level to a point where things don't necessarily work the same as they used to. Yeah, and it's it's sometimes it's like taking a mana off of something. 
mm-hmm. right? Like village rights versus, I guess, costly plunder was, or an artifact. What was the, there's just a creature one that was like one in the black, sack a creature, draw two cards. Yeah. Right? They took a mana off of that and like village rights is a really good card. And they made it in an instant instead of a sorcery. Yeah. So they like, so like you look at village rights and your head goes to, oh, that's the same as costly plunder. Costly mm-hmm. plunder saw no play, but this is a little bit better. And you don't like process how much better it is. Yeah. Until you get the three for one somebody. Yeah. And like part of me, I'm, I still am kind of like, like, no, this card shouldn't be this good. Like it's sometimes hard to wrap your head around like these little changes took this card from like not playable to really strong or like the backbone of a deck. Yeah. It's kind of funny you say that because I was going through after you sent me that link to that uh, TCG player article, I was going through, you know, cards that I have to, you know, make sure I had some of this stuff. If, you know, we ever get to play paper magic again and I don't have foil village rights. And I thought that was really strange. I'm like, wow, you know, I've been playing this deck a lot on Arena. How how come I don't have foil village rights? Oh, yeah, it's because, you know, at any other time in Magic's past, like, this type of card is never playable. I wouldn't have ordered them because nobody would have expected this card to be good. Yeah. And instead you're like, oh, man, I really wish I had some foil village rights. Yeah. I have kind of a quick aside I want to go down real quick. Okay. So do you think this is what happened with um, Crokies? I was just going to say that as an example. And so yeah. this has come up on the Arena Decklist podcast. Oh, okay. about, I haven't listened to them much lately. So. so just about how like people that are coming to the game new aren't yeah. coming to the game with any preconceived notions. Yeah. And they're just trying to do the most powerful things that they can. So like yeah. this was when talking about like, you know, people wouldn't have initially made 80 card Yorion decks. Cause you're not supposed to play 80 cards. You're supposed to play 60. Right. But then Crokey started doing it and started seeing results because he was just like, Oh, this is a really powerful thing I can do. I should just do the really powerful thing. Yeah. And not like, well, you're not supposed to play 80 card decks. Right. So I think it might challenge the norm. Yeah. So I do think that the people that have come into magic in the last few years that are looking at it, not from the, like, this isn't the thing you're supposed to do, or this type of effect isn't good, mm-hmm. but they're just like putting a and B together. I mean like, Oh wait, no, this is good. They're trying things that maybe you or I wouldn't try. Yeah. Like putting village rates in a deck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, cause again, that card's not supposed to be good. Or even we talked about like uh, Cauldron Familiar Witches Oven being broken, right? Yeah. I know when I saw Cauldron Familiar in Witches Oven, I was like, oh, this is some cute limited synergy that you might be able to pull off in a draft. Yeah, no, that's I certainly what I did too. not think like this is you know a format defining staple, like a pillar of the format that we have to ban. Right. A card that we looked at and went like, huh, that'd be cool if it happens in limited. Then they had to ban it. Right. I mean, I still, uh, I know, like, in my brain, that Embercleave is good. Mm-hmm. But in my heart, I'm right. like, it's a six-mana equipment. Equipments are always trash. Uh-huh. Like, why is this card getting played? 
then you take 70 or whatever but like like you know there's still part of the like reptilian boomer brain that's like (laughs) like this equipment should not be good we have not had a good equipment in like years well i implore you to go back to our eldraine set review uh episode and if i remember correctly i believe our evaluation of ember cleave was I'm 100% sure I'm going to lose to this at some point, but that doesn't mean it's good. Yes. I mean, but it might just be good. Yeah. No, I think it is just good. You know, and I think it's looking at it like, well, how often, how often are you going to get a major cost reduction that it's like good enough? Right. Like, turns out all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just build your deck to get the cost reduction, and you yeah. only need the cost reduction to be like two. Right. Like, if you get it down to costing four mana, it's good enough. And it's weird that like a teamer battle rage for four mana yeah. is good, but when you get to cast it twice, yeah. it's good enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I do think like just as magic has changed, people coming into the game are, are at at least an advantage of perhaps card evaluations mm-hmm. where they're just looking at cards with no history. Right. They have they, no they preconceived notions. Exactly. So before we get into some new stuff, do you want to talk quickly about like cards in a vacuum versus cards in a field or cards in a format? Uh, sure. So not that I think there's a ton to talk on here, but it's like when we're evaluating specific cards, I think it's important. Yeah. So this kind of goes to the term metagame, right? Yeah. Which a metagame is, you know, the game within the game or like how, like what people are doing uh, in the game and how it influences what other people do. So, mm-hmm. right, if no one, like if no one's playing green or red cards, then you can't play Aethergust, right? right? Because it's bad in the metagame. If everyone's mm-hmm. playing red and green cards, you play four Aethergust in your main deck right. because it's the best card you could possibly draw, which is where we were when everyone played Simic was we mm-hmm. all just played for Aethergust because it was the literal best thing you could do. Right. It's especially important to know what the difference between these two is when you're talking about like how good a particular creature can be in a format, like Elder Gargaroth. If you read that card, you're like, oh man, this does all of this stuff. It's so good. But if it's in a field full of you know, two-mana removal spells, all of a sudden the card's unplayable. Yeah, right now um, it's good. It's like yeah. it's it's showing up in like modern and stuff. Well, right, the, but that's because like the metagame is at, at a point where there, nobody's playing removal for it. Yeah, like a fatal push can't kill it, and everyone's playing fatal push. Then right. your Gargaroth is great. Right, but if you're in a field full of you know Jun decks with Terminate, then you can't. They're play gonna your Gargaroth. Yeah, they're gonna play their Lily and hold two mana up and kill your thing and then make you discard your next big thing. So it is looking at... So cards in a vacuum are you read the card and you're like, mm-hmm. this card is powerful. Right. Then you have to put it in the context of all the other cards that are available to be played in the format and like where it lines up. So this yep. shows up a lot in Limited mm-hmm. where this way where you like can like see it all, the most is there's often a talk about like the breakpoint in toughness in a format, yeah. right? 
like do you need your creatures to have two toughness three toughness or four toughness let's say right, right. let's say that there's let's say your format has shock and another two damage red spell right mm-hmm. well then that makes it so you don't want to play two toughness creatures right because they died a shock in this other spell right right that means three toughness creatures are where you need to be or mm-hmm. you have an aggressive format where you have a bunch of two and three mana uh cards that have two power right. well then you want to then you want to prioritize things that have three toughness because they can profitably block those things with two power. Yep. Where if you have a format that has like lightning strike and another three damage burn spell, mm-hmm. right? Those now the break point where the toughness that's important is four mana. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's not always damage based stuff. It's then when you look at like constructed, you're not looking at like toughness on creatures you're looking at every aspect of it like can i play this is a format where kai is good right well are people using their graveyard are people playing zero and one mana things right like okay a field full of death shadow yeah okay like now kai is good because it checks these boxes but if you're playing kaya and no one's using their graveyard and everyone's playing two drops yeah. then your Kaya doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. And so then it's not playable. Yeah. I mean, there's been, even in standard, there was times where Kaya was certainly playable. And I think when we evaluated it, we pretty much said it was unplayable. Yeah. And it just really depended. It's unplayable. If you look at, if you read the cards, you're like, huh, this doesn't do enough, but right. it did enough in a certain field, in a certain metagame. Mm-hmm. The example I think we gave in our very first podcast was Savage Knuckleblade versus Siege Rhino. Correct. So Savage Knuckleblade, again, for the uninitiated, it was Teamer <laughs> for a 4-4. Four, four, mm-hmm. And you could pay red to give it haste. Yep. You could play like two and a green to pump it and two and a blue to return it to your hand. Mm-hmm. Something like Sounds that. Sounds like a great magic card. Sounds like it a great like card. It is like everything I want on a beater. A 100% unplayable. Yep. The reason was not that the card itself was bad. Right. It was that if you look at, let's say, Anafenza even had the same mana cost. was a 444 mm-hmm. Abzan. Yep. Had some text that kind of mattered, kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. But she had better friends. Yeah, like she, Siege Rhino. Siege Rhino, and she had Thought Seize, and she had yeah. Fleece Main Lion. So there were yep. all these cards that were really good Obzon cards mm-hmm. that supported Anafenza, but right. there weren't the same powerful Teamer cards to support Savage Knuckleblade. Right. So Savage Knuckleblade might be just on like pure text like stats and stuff, a better card than Anafenza if you don't care about yeah. her like static ability. Right. But because of the format and the cards in the format, Anafenza saw way more play. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of funny thinking back that like Teamer didn't have any good friends because Teamer's been such a dominant deck ever since then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Teamer I mean, Energy, Teamer Reclamation. Uh, Teamer Marvel. Yeah. Teamer Reclamation. Teamer Adventures. Yeah, like it was like the last time that like 
Well, the blue and green cards didn't get stupid amounts of ramp and card draw. Right. Yep. Like, I feel like it was back when, like, green got some card advantage, but not a ton. Yeah, and now it did, just gets all of it. Yeah, now it gets all of it. And they hadn't stapled, like, they hadn't put, like, blue and green together to be the ramp plus card advantage. Mm-hmm. It was still like, well, your green cards ramp you a little bit, but it just doesn't do everything. So, like, mm-hmm. that's very old design. So, when you look at a card, right, when in spoiler season, what everyone is looking at is the card in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And then they're trying to then extend into what they think the format's going to look like. Yeah, this is actually kind of funny that you bring this up right now. I don't know if you saw Yo Man 5's tweet uh, no. earlier this weekend. Uh, he put out a poll. And because he's, you know, he's known as a, uh, like a brewer, he does his 50 deck thing, like before every set comes out, he put a poll out that said, when do you start brewing? And the options were as soon as spoilers start a week into spoilers or wait until the full sets out. And I mean, the obvious answer is you wait till the full sets out because you have no idea what's, what the format's going to look like until you know what's in the set, right? Yeah, like, I don't really brew standard until that point. Like, in older formats, where, like, the whole set's not going to impact. Yeah, I mean, you're only looking at, you know, a couple, handful of cards. Right, but you see a card, you're like, oh, this will be good in in fill-in-the-blank modern deck, or fill-in-the-blank pioneer deck. You can start kind of brewing there, Mm -hmm. says the guy who can't wait to get himself some nisses. Um... (laughs) But, like, you don't need to look at the whole set, right? You need to yeah. look at a card in the context of, like, an existing deck. Yep. But for standard, like, we have, we know what four complete sets that'll be legal. Right. And then 20% of the of the sets we don't have all of yet, right? We don't have mm-hmm. the fifth set in standard. Right. So, right, they could spoil a card tomorrow that blows up everything you've been doing because... Oh wait! If this card gets played at all, it invalidates these two other decks I was building. Yeah. So I have to wait and see: Is this card going to get played? Is there enough support around it? Mm-hmm. So. Or you know, if you're building some sort of sweet like mid-range synergy deck, and then they spoil a one mana two-two with haste, like I mean, that kind of means that mono red's going to be a thing. So maybe you don't want to brew your super sweet dirtily synergy-based mid-range strategy. What if that one mana two two with trample and haste is uh, wholly unplayable? Um, I don't think it's wholly unplayable. Oh, I think it's hundred percent not playable. We'll talk about it next week then. Okay. Uh, actually, I think it's on my it's list on today. The list. Maybe we'll, yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it today. All right. So, so when you talk about cards in the field, we're talking about cards in their respective meta game. Mm-hmm. This, this one's for Anthony, uh, if he's listening. <laughs> Right, his one of his favorite decks of all time was Blue White Spirits in yeah. uh, Shadows of Innistrad, mm-hmm. and we got to that deck kind of on our own before other people did, or at least before we heard about it, because Spellqueller countered Aetherworks Marvel. That is true, and it was like, oh, if everyone's going to be on their turn four slamming an Aetherworks Marvel, if you mm-hmm. have a way to always counter it and get a threat out of it. You should probably do that. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, you're playing a bunch of flash threats, so you're not right. losing any of your mana. 
we're going to do this. And mm-hmm. like Spellqueller is a is a very good card, but if everyone in the format was playing like five drops. Mm-hmm. Right, Spellqueller. It doesn't do enough. Doesn't do enough. Ooh, it's a 2-3 yeah. Flash Flyer for three. It's like, whoop-de-doo. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it has to, like, eat something. Yep. So, or if everyone's playing a bunch of, like, one-mana spells, it's like, okay, like, you ate my one one-mana spell. I'll just play two more. Yeah. I don't care. Yep. So, it's all, like, contextual. Like, so we can yep. only, in spoiler season, you're only looking at, like, reading the text on the card. Right, you read the text on Field of the Dead and was like, "This is nuts," and I read uh-huh. it and I was like, "Well, are we gonna really get to like seven different land types?" <laughs> and like, because that's kind of a deck building constraint, but it's not when you have Golos and Gates and everything. But like, yeah, I mean, it's also not when you're in big standard. Like every set has a land cycle. You know what I mean? Yeah, but just the like, you looked at it in a vacuum and was like, "Oh, this is just nakedly powerful." And I looked at it and was like, well, it is, but like, are we going to be able to do the thing with it? And the answer was, we can do the thing. (laughs) Do the thing in all formats. All formats. All right. So we've got the new Zendikar Rising set coming out. And we have, we've got spoilers, so we've seen what the mechanics are. Yep. And so we're going to go through the mechanics, talk about them briefly. And we've picked out a card to illustrate... Uh, the mechanic. Right. So the first mechanic is a classic of Zend- of all Zendikar's past. I don't think it would be Zendikar without this mechanic. I thought the same thing about allies. Um, <laughs> and that would be uh, Landfall. Yep. So Landfall is whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you get some sort of effect. It's like a triggered ability for lands entering the battlefield. Yeah, so we've got uh, Morag. Morag, yeah. Fury of Akum, and it's a four red red for a six six. For it's a, a legendary creature, Minotaur Warrior. So each creature you control gets plus one plus O oh each time it's attacked this turn, which sounds weird. You usually only get to attack once. Yeah, it sounds pretty weird. But it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if it's your main phase, there's an mm-hmm. additional combat phase after this phase. At the beginning of that combat, untap all creatures you control. Ooh, that's spicy. That is. So this gives you the effect of whenever you play a land, you just get an extra combat step. Well, if it's in your main phase. Right. Why why is it only why do they would they have to specify only in your main phase? Uh, because it would go infinite with a whole bunch of different cards, including one of the most played creatures in modern, which is Primeval Titan. Uro. Oh yeah, Uro too. Infinite in standard. Yeah. You would well, just I have mean, to draw. You have to draw a land every turn. Yeah. Or every draw step. Right. But you could just like Uro put in a land, untap my Uro, or you <laughs> put in a land, untap my Uro. Do you give up? Yeah, in with prime time, it would just be infinite, like no problem. Yeah. So there's a there are things that give plus one plus one counters. There are things that pump your creatures, make them uh, plus two plus two whenever a land comes into play. There's a whole bunch of different effects tied to landfall. Yeah, they can do a whole bunch of different stuff. As a result of landfall, 
there's a bunch of different cards in the set that are there simply to enable landfall. Okay. By either putting cards into play or putting lands mm-hmm. into play or yeah. buying back your lands to replay. Right. So and, just a minute ago, we had alluded to a certain uh, one drop 2-2 two, two with haste. And this is Wayward Guide Beast. Uh, it's a, like I said, a one drop 2-2 two, two with haste and trample. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you return a land you control to its owner's hand. This is definitely an enabler for landfall because make sure you're never going to miss your land drops. Why were you saying you weren't sure that this was going to see play? Think about the tempo hit that you have to take to pick up a land. Like you mm-hmm. just eliminate your your like land drop for the turn. So like at some point like you in standard the red decks need three lands. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you play well, this on the, the current red decks do. Yeah. But if you play it on turn one, mm-hmm. you can't attack with it. Right. Because so it's not really a one mana two two with trample and haste. It's kind of a two mana two two because you can't play it on you can't attack with it on turn one. Well, so it's a one mana two two without haste. Yeah, so it has trample and a drawback. Right. Like but, it, so in a certain red deck though, like you don't need more than two or three lands. Like if you're playing all one drops, I you guess, don't need more than two or three lands. I just feel and, like it doesn't that like what you're getting and like how far back you get set put is is tough. Maybe look what I was like my play pattern that I was thinking in my head wasn't so much that you're like going down a land every turn is that you're never going to have another land from then out because you can use that land before you put it back in your hand. Yeah, you can. And like, I was kind of picturing like a zooish deck where, you know, everything in your deck was, you know, one or two mana and cared about lands entering the battlefield. Like there's a couple cards that are like one or two mana and like get plus one, plus one till end of turn or put a counter on it or whatever. And like in that style deck, it's very important to make sure that you don't really need your land drop, but you need land fall. So, you know, if you have, you know, this guy and you have your two lands or whatever, you can use your lands to, you know, pay for something, you know, attack, bounce one back to your hand, play it, use it. You have access to three mana that turn, even though you only, you know, have two lands, if you know what I'm saying. But if you play the land post combat, you miss your landfall trigger. If you're, um, yeah, if you if you're like the the new step links, the yeah. red O one when a land comes landfall gets plus two plus two, right? Yeah. You have to play your land pre combat. That's so true. Like you want to like go like so on turn one you play that guy, on mm-hmm. turn two you play like fervent champion, wayward guide beast and you've got mm-hmm. your like landfall trigger and then you attack and you pick up your land. Mm-hmm. You've dealt five, right? right? Now, next turn, you have to replay that land. So you kind of always like, you're kind of always going to be stuck at, let's say, whatever land you decide to attack with, with your wayward guide beast is how mm-hmm. many lands you're going to have in play until the wayward guide beast dies. Right. Or stop stealing damage. So, like, if you're cool with two lands, mm-hmm. right, then that's fine. But then, like, drawing multiples of these is, like, rough. 
Oh, that's true. I hadn't thought about multiples. Like yeah, you, multiples is pretty rough. Like, like if you get down to only having one land, then it's like okay, whatever. I can attack with three of these, and I only put one land back. But yeah. like, if your if your hand is like fervent champion and two of these, yeah, that's kind of rough. Like you can't play both. Yeah, and I guess you also like never get to play Embercleave with this guy. Not really. Like you have to go really wide. Well, you can't though because. Like if you embercleave this thing, oh, you can't put it on it on that. No, you, you put two lands back in your hand every turn. Yeah, like you just double stone rain yourself. Yeah, right. Like that's kind of like the. It kind of feels like you stone rain yourself if you yeah. can like make the stone rain not terrible. Mm-hmm. Then okay, but I think you're doing a lot of work. Yeah, like when I read it, I was like, okay, one mana, two two, okay. Trample haste. Okay. And then I read it, read the text. I was like, this can't work. This is just too many hoops. I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if it found a home, but I see what you're saying also. Yeah. So, uh, so as as this gets into us, uh, evaluating cards with these principles, this forfeits a thing that you normally accrue every turn through your land drop. Yeah, so, so you, that would be like negative tempo. Your negative tempo, but you are up in card economy mm-hmm. because this is your one drops better than your opponent's one drop. Yeah, but well, it's better in in the stats, but not in the text box. Right. Right. So, what about that Minotaur? How does that fit into our uh, pillars of card evaluation? I mean, a six minute six six is just fine. Yeah, it's fine in terms of card economy. If you right. hit, if you landfall, you are up tempo big time. Tempo, you're yeah. getting extra attack steps. Yeah, I mean, it is a card card that now talking about like the format. Can mm-hmm. you play like you have to play this almost on like when you have your seventh land drop rolled up? Yeah, because like you don't want to play this. And it doesn't and have it not do anything. Right. You have to play it and then get your extra attack step right away. Yeah. So in that regard, what, it does a little bit of work. What about work. in a deck with like Azusa and Dryad of the Elysian Grove where you're just making like all of the land drops? Yeah, but then you're playing a three mana one two and a three mana two four. And you're like, bring the beats. Like the two four can take a couple uh, attack steps maybe before it dies, mm-hmm. but like Azusa doesn't get the rumble. That's true. Uh, so like that's awkward, right? The things yeah. that are gonna give you up, get you up land drops, are also like, uh, not things that are gonna like smash face well. Yeah, that's a good point. But like, it is positive tempo if you get to get your uh, attack steps in. Yeah, I mean, I think if you get one extra attack step, you're pretty happy, right? Oh, yeah, you're... Like, if you've built your deck around this, you should win the game. Yeah. Right. Okay, next up is the party mechanic. Yeah, this is kind of a weird one. We were talking in the pre-show about ally being missing, and this is, I think, what we got instead of ally. Boo. Yeah. My Kabira Evangels are are worth (laughs) less money now. Boo. So... Uh, the party mechanic uh, counts the number of 
individual creatures that you control that are one of each creature type relic or cleric rogue warrior and wizard right so So like a typical stereotypical like adventuring party yeah like your dungeons and dragons adventure uh uh, group or party in in dungeons and dragons so the thing to note here is if a creature is a rogue wizard Mm-hmm. It gets to count as either a rogue or a wizard towards your party. It doesn't count as both. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird. So there's like a green card that is like two and a green It for something. It has kicker and you get to look yeah. at cards off the top, but it counts as all four types. Yeah. But, but it, it only, only counts is, as one of the four. It's only one party member. Oh, so it's all right. Any, so like a shapeshifter. Yeah doesn't count as isn't all four you don't get party off of a shapeshifter gotcha you're a changeling or a changeling whatever. yeah it has to be four different character four different cards so you okay. have to have a card that is a cleric a card that is a wizard a card that is a warrior and a card that is a rogue yep. so uh the kind of the example we picked for this is archpiece priest of iona so mm-hmm. it ha- it's a one mana star two and it has power equal to the number of creatures in your party. So it could be up to a 4-2, but at the very least, it's going to be a 1-2? Yes, because it is a human cleric on its own. So it is its own party member. And at the beginning of combat, on your turn, if you have a full party, target creature, read this thing, gets plus 1, yep. plus 1, and gains flying until end of turn. Because I don't think you're yeah. going to do much better than a 5-3 flyer. One mana? Yeah, probably not. So, it's like the white weeniest card that ever white weenied. Yeah, so I think that this card is like the party mechanic overall is mm-hmm. kind of win more. Yeah. Right? You've already assembled like Creature Tron. <laughs> and now you get something cool because you've assembled Creature Tron. Like, yeah. there's the what, coveted prize is like four and a black for a demonic tutor. But if you ha- but costs one less for each party member you have, and if you have a full party, it only costs one black mana, and you get to cast the spell you got if it costs four mana or less. Yep. Right. So you're doing it, but you had to put together a cleric, a wizard, a warrior, <laughs> and a rogue. Yeah, which may or may not be that easy. Yeah. So it's is a question of like, are there enough of these around? Mm-hmm. and will like is it worth doing all the work right? yeah i mean i guess we'll find out when the whole set file is released how many of them are good or each card that has party does something different there's a couple yeah. of them that are cost reducers there's a couple that like on this card give you some sort of extra uh, effect or buff mm-hmm. there's a red card that gives you one red mana for each party member that you have so you could it costs four mana. So in theory, you could just play it for free. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it just kind of depends on what the payoffs are. But you are doing a lot of work to assemble all these creature types. Yeah, it kind of has the same problem as you said with Wayward Guide Beasts too, where it's kind of awkward to have two of these in your opener. Not that they negate each other, but you're definitely not doing it if your first turn is to play one of these and your second turn is to play one of these. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, the, I'd have to look at the other, like, 
creature types for the one mana white cards, right? Yeah. Like uh, the dog, the goodest boy. Uh, what is yeah. his name? Uh, Savior, right? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, like he's a white one drop you'd want to play, but I don't think he's like a dog wizard. Probably not. He's, just, he's probably not a dog warrior either. Yeah, he's just a dog. He's a dog rogue. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the, there you're are a wizard. Like, you're a wizard, Snoopy. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. There are some like incidental rogues, though. There are like they... Robber of the Rich is a rogue. Um, um, you have that black flash rogue, uh, Thief Guild Enforcer. Yeah. There's the blue, uh, like unblockable spirit. Yeah. That's a rogue. So they did set up some rogues in like the core set. Mm-hmm. And kind of like scattered throughout. Yeah. Right. But like if you go this guy in the robber of the rich, mm-hmm. right, then like, woo. Like now you you got a one mana two two that doesn't make you put lands back under your hand. Right. And and, and you have a two two that draws you a card. Yeah. So uh that is a thing. So it just really depends. Like some of them look like they're like really like hard limited plants or you could like maybe see them as like commander cards mm-hmm. where you're like oh i just have to like you know assemble assemble tron and then i can do this cool thing yeah. or my spell costs a little bit less yep so the next one is i'll oh, see if i can get the abbreviation here is this the abbreviation one yeah mdfc yeah they're modal double-faced cards yeah i had no so... idea what that was when i was like what is this <laughs> So it used to be when you had a double-faced card, the only way you could get to the backside is through it flipping. You had um, to meet some condition, and then yeah. the card, there'd be a trigger that happened that would flip the card. Right. Um, now they made it so that these cards don't flip back and forth. You pick a side, and you play it as that side. And I think all of them are a land on the backside, right? There's none that are like double spells or anything. They are all lands. Yeah. And then there um, are, there are a set, the rare land cycle is a land on both sides. Right. We'll talk about those next week. Yeah. Um, um, the one that we picked to talk about right now is uh, called Salundi's Vision. It's two and a blue for an instant. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest onto the bottom of your library in a random order. And then the back side is Salundi's Island. It's a land. It enters the battlefield tapped, and you can tap it for blue. So all of these cards are the front side is a little over-costed or yeah. a little underpowered for what you would yep. want to play. Right. But just like we talked about the like power of flexible cards last week, mm-hmm. they make up for it by being a land. You get to think of these in two ways. So you get to think of them as I'm going to play a 24 land in air quotes deck, and I'm going to mm-hmm. replace four of my basic whatevers with four of the spell lands. Right. So now... I can never really flood because I am going to have these spell lands. So later in the game, I'm not going to draw a land. I'm going to draw this spell and the spell might be medium, mm-hmm. but that's fine because it's not you drawing your eighth land. It's right. you drawing some form of gas. 
and some of them are gassier than others. Like this one just basically says like draw a card. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, like, I mean, draw the best card out of your top six. That's... Or the best instant or sorcery out of your top six. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah. So it's like three mana cycling on your land, but the cycling is yeah. look at six cards. Right. And then the other way to think of them is I never want to miss a land drop. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play 36 in air quote lands and I'm going to play mm-hmm. 24 normal regular lands and I'm going to play tw- I'm going to play 12 of these spell lands. So early in the game I'm never ever 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 going to miss a land drop. Mm-hmm. And then late in the game I'm going to have enough mana that I can pay the overcosted price on some of these cards to right. get the effect because the You're effect not feel is too terrible about it. Yeah, the effect is fine. Yep. Right. And I would rather I don't want to play 36 lands because I don't have enough spells. Mm-hmm. But if I play 36 like lands with 12 of them being spells, then I don't again, I don't flood out. I never miss yep. the land drop. So I don't ever get screwed. And then I don't flood because I'm drawing like sixes or fives. <laughs> yeah. And some of them, I think, are better than sixes and fives. As spells. So, like, this could fundamentally change how we play magic? Uh, Very easily. Um, I am kind of nervous about this, not to the extent that I was nervous about companions, but kind of for the same reason. It definitely removes some of the variants. And I I know some people, we were talking about this, like, some people in the Discord were like, oh, they need to fix, like, Flood and Screw. And this kind of does that. But then, like, uh, the example I used in the pre-show is we become chess Mm -hmm. and you lose your variants. Right. So there's one last, like, mechanic. Yep. And that's uh, Kicker. And we've seen Kicker before. Last time it was around was Dominaria, I think. Yeah. Kicker is an additional cost that you pay when you play a spell. Um, There's always an additional effect tied to it. If it's creatures, like a good example is if, you know, you have a one mana one one with kicker one in a green, um, you, you know, kick it and it enters the battlefield with like a plus one plus one counter or something. Yeah, um, so, it, so it changes the value of the card early and late. So it makes cards good yep. early and it makes cards good late. And it also gives you the attention of what I want to play this on turn one or do I want to wait until turn three so I can kick it. So you get more decisions and your like one mana cards and cheap cards aren't dead in the late game. Yep. They're also like you mentioned about uh cards being flexible. Kicker cards are usually pretty flexible because of that because you can play them early for, you know, a minimal effect or later for a, you know, big splashy effect. The card that I picked to talk about today with Kicker on it, um I picked because it was a card under a different name that saw a bunch of play last time it was legal. Um, this is into the Royal. It's one in a blue for an instant with kicker one in a blue return target, non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If this spell was kicked, draw a card. So it was this blink is, of the eye, blink of an eye from Dominaria. Yep. Basically the same card. So it like gives you the ability to, I need to just pay two mana and bounce this or, Oh no, I'm going to wait till turn four and get my card back. So I'm going to like pay some more mana but get some of my tempo back by yep. get replacing the card. 
So these yeah. cards are always good just because they get to do multiple things. And we already talked about Jace right. uh, as being the first Planeswalker with Kicker. Yep. And they've used Kicker in some unique ways in this set to like make copies of things and stuff like that. Something to remember is that when you kick a card, its converted mana cost stays the same. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty important. So, so this Into the Royal, if you kicked it, would not be a 4-CMC spell. It's still just a 2-CMC spell. So there, The kicker is an additional cost. Yeah, so there is a, a card that when it comes into play, you can copy the next spell you cast with CMC 2 or less. Well, if you yep. were to like play that and then kick Blink of an Eye, you would still get to ca- copy the Blink of the Eye, Plus, you would get the kicker cost as well. So the original plus the copy would have the full spell plus kicker cost paid on both. Oh, okay. So you would get two bounce draw cards. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. So just remember that that the um, the converter mana cost doesn't change. Okay. Yeah, that's important to note. Yeah. So those are the the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And a couple spoilers. We'll uh, we'll get more into the set next week. All right. So, Arena, real quick. The I think the big thing that is happening on Arena is there's another mythic something mythic invitational. Invitational this coming weekend, right? Yes, yeah, this coming weekend. Yep. And, and it's historic. Yes, it is. Okay. And then the FM was historic brawl. I cannot. Yep. Uh, encourage you enough to uh, make eight mana Ugin your commander and just play mana rocks. It feels <laughs> Seems real like a good, good idea. It feels real good. You're just like, oh, wrath your board. Have a three loyalty planeswalker. Kill you. Yeah. It's great. Uh, don't don't play arcane signet though. It doesn't make any mana. It doesn't make any mana. But it and there aren't enough colorless lands for you to play Ugin. Okay. So what you do, you get to play basics as long mm-hmm. as they're all the same type of basic. Oh, okay. So it'll let you play like 11 forests or whatever. Yeah, I I played every colorless land that didn't have a drawback and yeah. three planes. Okay. What, why'd you pick planes? They were the first ones that I got to. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know if there was no. like... No, it was just planes were the first ones that came up. It doesn't matter. But if you mix your lands, it won't let you use Ugin or Ulamog as your commander. Oh, okay. But it's not super clear why. But yeah, I was I was uh, eight mana Uginning people on turn four and five. It was glorious. Great. Yes. So that that was good times. It doesn't work. It, the, the times I lost was because mm-hmm. I would play my eight mana Ugin and they would Agent of Treachery it. Oh. So not a fan of Agent of Treachery, but you know what? <laughs> you're in your all colorless deck. Ugin down ticking doesn't do anything. <laughs> so <Right>. you're fine. <laughs> just like, cool. I guess I'm going to just get bolted every turn and then you're going to draw a million cards and kill me. I'll yep. just concede now. Uh, we'll save us all the pain there. Yeah, probably not too many ways to destroy an Ugin in an all colorless deck either. Yeah. Six mana Ugin does not kill an eight mana Ugin. So sure, the, sure does. That was my only removal spell, basically. <laughs> well, so. you got. Um... Perilous Vault, right? There's Perilous Vault. I think that's in the format. But there's also the three mana mana rock that also destroys a permanent for seven mana. Oh, okay. Is that Perilous Vault? No, Perilous Vault no, was like Perilous one mana Vault pay seven. Exiles. No, yeah. No. 
It's four mana, pay five. Okay, this is like it's three mana, mana rock, thing. pay seven to destroy a permanent. And I had a meteor golem. So yeah, okay. Huge, huge number of efficient threat of efficient answers there. Uh, yeah. Um, ten mana to kill a permanent. Uh, <laughs> but that was good times to the point where I yeah. like put it together in a regular brawl. Regular brawl is, oh. a, is a sad place of just counter, counter spells. I was like, oh, yeah. this is less fun. <laughs> um, uh, so. The only thing I've been doing in arena is pyromancer. I've been on that for a couple weeks now. I talked about it a little bit last week, I think. Yeah. And we should Nothing like groundbreaking. find this TCG article and link it since we're bringing it up. But apparently the okay. red black pyromancer deck that's kind of the historic deck is like the new hotness or one of the new hot things in Pioneer. Wait, I'm down. I like yeah. that deck in uh, Historic, so. Yeah, so that's, again, something that you can, like, play in Historic and get some reps for Pioneer if that ever happens again. Yeah, if it ever happens again. So the last thing, real quick, are someone asked a question about prices of expeditions. Yeah, it was a question in Discord that we got, and I think I answered it-ish. I don't think it was necessarily the answer they were looking for. But I figured we talk about it on the show real quick because we hadn't talked about it yet. Yeah. So where do you think these things are going to be? So mainly the fetch lands. Yeah. I actually have it pulled up on. Oh, I had it pulled up. It's gone now. I had it pulled up on TCG player and it looks like they've come up a little bit from when I uh, mentioned it when we were talking in discord. When we were talking in Discord, I had said that there's somewhere around like 50 bucks, I think I said. Yeah. Um, let me see what exactly what I said. At the time, pre-orders were 50 to 80 for non-foils on SCG. I think that these are probably going to be pretty similar to the last time Expeditions were in packs. I think the demand's a lot higher this time around. There's a lot more EDH kids that are going to be looking for you know, their first copy of, you know, their fetch lands, there's going to be a lot more EDH kids looking for, you know, pimp versions for their decks. Um, there's also been a lot of interest in modern lately. People are going to be looking to pick these up as, you know, if this version's 50 bucks and the non-foil original printing's 50 bucks, you might as well get one of these. So I think the demand's going to be a lot higher for these, uh, but they are going to be more common also. I had read somewhere that there should be two of these guaranteed per collector booster box um, in packs. And that additionally to the two that come in the box. Yeah. So all of the draft booster boxes, all of the set booster boxes come with one non-foil as a box topper. And all of the collector booster boxes come with two non-foils as a box topper. In addition to that, in the collector booster packs, it should be a distribution of two expeditions per box. Plus, in addition to that, there's a small chance of getting an extra one in a booster pack. Um, so they're definitely going to be way more common than last time around where you might, I think it was one per case or two per case. Um, these are definitely going to be more common than that. Yeah. But... Like I said, the demand's a lot higher now than it was then also. When I had looked it up, like I said, the non-foils were 50 to 80 on Star City Games. Um, when I looked it up today, they were like 60 to 120 for non-foils on uh, TCG Player. 
I don't know what the uh, jump in prices due to, but they're certainly higher now than they were a couple of days ago. What I will say is, again, we live in crazy times where prices don't make sense. Mm-hmm. We were talking about some of the prices of the full art uh, double masters box topper things. And they are stupid low. I don't think this is going to track for the fetch lands, but maybe some of the other box toppers. Like, I yeah. think with, with a lot of people with their focus on, I want to get my fetch lands, maybe... Right. They're not like, going to care that they opened up an ancient tomb. Yeah, or the fast lands or something. Those yeah. might, like, slide by relatively cheap. Oh, I definitely want some... Uh foil black leaf cliffs yeah. so if any of you guys pull foil black leaf cliffs hook me up like this is not a reprint that is going to like markedly change uh the price mm-hmm. right like you might get people buying these and shifting their regular fetch lands yeah especially if it's like a you know a close to like a one for one kind of change mm-hmm. like oh i can turn my flooded strand from cons into one of these yeah. For the same price, okay, I'll do that. Right. But I don't think it's going to be just like tons and tons of super cheap fetch lands. But, I mean, I could be surprised. Like, I thought the foil full art thought seizes were going to be $100 a piece, mm-hmm. and they were 50 Right. So, and they've come down since then. They're like 45 now. Yeah. So, y- you never know. Yeah. Yeah, like polluted delta for a non-foil. I just pulled it up on TCG Player is eighty six dollars. Okay, that seems kind of high. It does. Um, Bloodstained Mire is forty four bucks. That actually seems kind of low. Yeah, Bloodstained Mire is well. It used to be the least played one, but a bunch of black red decks. So I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. So I think with that, I think we have a show. I think we also have a show. So this is our last week of spoilers. So if you got any things you want us to talk about next week or things to bring up on the show, you can get at us at Casual Tripod on Twitter. If there's specific cards that you want us to discuss, things you're interested in brewing, anything you know along those lines, or if you want us to expand upon mechanics, if there's any interaction questions you guys have, you can send them to us either through Twitter or through our Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. You can email us at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Make sure that I check it all the time, and we'll get whatever questions you have. Um, If you're looking to pre-order any of these Zendikar Rising cards, or if you're looking to pick up some of these expeditions, uh, make sure you use our TCG Player affiliate link. TCG is probably, other than our LGS, my go-to as far as buying singles. They usually have really competitive prices, and their shipping's really quick. Make sure you use our affiliate link, tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. We'll get a very small cut of whatever you purchase, help keep the show running, paying our hosting fees, that sort of thing. Um, if you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. Our patrons get early access to our show notes, so you know what's what we're going to talk about that week. Uh, we also do a usually about half-hour, 45-minute pre-show where we're checking our sound, catching up with each other, talking about what we're going to talk about on the show, that kind of stuff. And we release that usually on Tuesdays. Again, that's Patreon only. They get access to that stuff. Um, we also have a Patreon only finance room in our discord where, where whenever we have a spec for a card or if we're noticing some strange movement in the market, we'll post up in the finance room and 
try and keep you guys abreast of that situation so that you can you know adjust your collection accordingly as to not miss out on free money on the table um we got anything else going on no i think that's it so i think that's it we'll see look out for our uh set review episode next week and oh yeah and that'll be uh we're doing another one with juan right it'll be a I video so, yeah. episode yeah we'll... so make sure you look out for that uh it'll be on our youtube channel it'll be on myrtle beach Games' youtube channel and you'll be able to get the audio only version any place you would normally find the podcast okay. so with that we will catch you on the internet we will catch you on the internets. <laughs>